0: What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve. And he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such as a child in my name receives me.
1: And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, where their worm does not die and their fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. And he left them there, and went to the region of Judea and
2: beyond the Jordan and crowds gathered to him again and again as was the custom he taught them and Pharisees came up and in order to test him asked is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife and he answered them what did Moses command you and they said Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away And in the house of the disciples, ask him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery.
0: And they were bringing children to him, that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on
3: them. Heavenly Father, we do continue just to praise you and lift up your name. There's no way we could adequately express the gratitude of our heart toward you for who you are. God, thank you that in the fullness of who you are, you have provided grace and mercy. You have provided forgiveness to draw us to yourself. And right now, God, we just want to continue to to praise your name and worship you through the word that you've given us, the Bible that you've given us. And as we open it, God, I pray that you would speak into our heart and use this time to draw us even closer to you than we've ever been before, because you deserve that kind of praise. So we continue to lift up your name and praise you now, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I invite you to open your Bible with me again to the Gospel of Mark. <clears throat> We're continuing with our journey through Mark with chapter 9, and today we move into to chapter 10. And... um. Uh, I'm pleased to say here at Palmetto Shores that one of the greatest ministries we have is our Learning Center. Uh, It's the program that we have with preschool children Monday to Friday, and it's incredible. We teach our children to uh, obey and follow God. Uh, we teach our children to follow their parents and obey their parents and to obey and follow godly leadership. Um, often, uh, we, we understand and emphasize in life that, that we all follow someone. We all follow something, don't we? Uh, we follow patterns that we've developed since childhood. I, I, I think of my grandfather. My grandfather is... More than I was more than 90 years old when he passed away. And what I remember most about my grandfather was every morning, he got up before daylight, and he had a little breakfast. And then at 12 noon, he was sitting at the table waiting on his lunch. And then at 5.30 or so, he was sitting at the table waiting on his dinner. And at 9 o'clock, he went to bed. That was his pattern of life, he very rarely ever altered from that from that pattern. He followed the pattern that I'm sure his parents had had taught him and that his family structure uh, had followed. Oftentimes we follow people that uh, we admire, and those patterns are good, and those patterns are healthy. we We see attributes in people that we want to emulate. we read books that they write, we uh, evaluate. Uh, habits that they have, and we try to follow those, those habits. We emulate their lifestyle as much as we possibly can. Other times in life, we may follow unhealthy patterns and habits. Uh, we develop habits and hang-ups which lead to hurts and lead to problems, and often we find those issues difficult to overcome in life. Why? because we choose to follow the wrong pattern, the wrong influence. It's critical for us to understand who and what we are following and for the reasons we're following who and what in life. In Mark chapter 9, we see Jesus headed toward his final destination, headed toward uh, Jerusalem. They have Uh, He and his disciples have left Caesarea Philippi, and now they're on the way for the last time in the life of Jesus to head back to Jerusalem. And his focus is laser focused. He's focused on teaching his disciples what it looks like to be a true follower of his. His primary mission was ahead, but he still had much to teach his followers before he left them to carry out his ultimate mission. And so, with that in mind, I want to remind us this morning that there are three arenas in our passage that you heard read earlier. There are three arenas for following the heart of Jesus in this text. So, let's just look at them this morning, and let me warn you up front that there's a great deal for us to apply to our life today If we truly want to be a disciple of Jesus in this text. So let's dig in. And let's make a commitment from the outset. That we're not only going to be hearers of the word. But we're going to be doers of the word of God today. So with that in mind. The first of the three arenas is follow the heart of Jesus for discipleship. Follow the heart of Jesus for discipleship. In verse 30. So the mission of Jesus was very clear. He constantly shared that mission with his disciples privately. And he also shared that mission publicly. He said, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him. And when he is killed after three days, he will rise. And so Jesus was repeating his primary mission so that the disciples... Would get it, and yet up to this point, they still hadn't got it. Jesus knew what his mission was. He endured the suffering and death, going to the cross, allowing his blood to be shed, because he loves you that much. He loves you enough to die for you. And so he knew that was coming and he predicted that he would be killed. And then three days later, he would rise from the dead. Jesus loved you enough to die for you so that when you admit that you are a sinner and when you repent of your sin and truly turn away from your sin and turn to Jesus and give your life to Him and become a follower of His, then you have nothing to fear because He has victory over death. He arose from the grave to give you that victory. He loves you that much. And He was trying to convey that message to His disciples and yet they didn't get it. I ask you today, have you put your trust in Him? Have you made the commitment to make all of life about Jesus? When you make that commitment, it changes everything. Everything about every part of your life as it does every part of my life. But like His original disciples, most people today, most people today, Have a hard time understanding that was the mission of Jesus. And that mission of Jesus can impact every life of every human being. No exceptions. Denying ourselves and taking up our crosses and following Jesus, which we looked at in the earlier part of this last discourse in the life of Jesus, raised some tough practical questions in the life of the disciples. So why would anyone not believe and understand Jesus? Why would anyone be afraid to ask Jesus questions? Because this text tells us in verse 32 that they were afraid to ask him questions. Why would anyone be afraid to ask Jesus a question? I wonder if it could be that it might cause us to make some changes in our life that we don't want to make. We really deep down inside know the answer, but we don't want to follow him because we're not really ready to make that step and give him all of our life. Well, Jesus didn't leave his disciples hanging. He prepared them for hearing truth by answering their question with a question to them. Look at verse 33. They came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? See, Jesus prepared his disciples for their mission by asking them tough questions. And I bet if you and I are honest today, I bet there are some questions that Jesus might be asking us about our lifestyle. Maybe even about our theology. But Jesus consistently challenged his disciples to go deeper, to go to the heart, to focus on the priority of eternity. And all they wanted to do was focus on worldly things. So in verse 34, look at it, he says, But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first... He must be last of all and servant of all. Now what's the status of a servant? Especially in the first century, the status of a servant was as low as you could climb on the totem pole of life. And very close to that was the status and position of children. And so look at what Jesus did. He taught that following him demanded true disciples to function like servants rather than rulers. He taught them that following him demanded true disciples to have a heart with the trust of a child rather than a self-sufficient, independent attitude of a ruler. Look at verse 36. He took a child and put the child in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Pride is a very subtle sin. It's hard to detect. It's hard to admit. Sometimes pride is even camouflaged, like humility. It's dangerous, because it cuts into the soul. And Jesus knew that pride prevented repentance. It hinders brotherly love. It hinders service pride says that I'm more important than the person that needs ministry, the person that needs service. So the disciples had fallen into the trap of placing status over purpose. They were arguing over who was the greatest, rather than looking at following the pattern of Jesus and taking on the mindset of a humble servant or a humble child. In verse 38, John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterwards to speak evil of me. Again, the pride issue is continuing to be prevalent in the mind of even John, the beloved disciple, apostle. Verse 40 says, The one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. There is no place in being a follower of Jesus to feel superior to any other believer. No room. The reward that Jesus offers comes to all who overcome pride and the feelings of entitlement and love all people who know and follow Jesus regardless of the manner in which they follow him. The reward Jesus offers comes to all who use God's gifts to serve other people in the name of Jesus. I want to warn us, church... Be very careful how you judge other believers on non-essential issues like the second coming of Christ or musical styles or liturgies or how often we share communion or speaking in tongues or what Bible translation you use or worship service times, what you wear when you go to church, these kinds of things. Be very careful. How you judge other believers in Christ. Because there's no place in discipleship for putting yourself over and above any other believer on planet earth. The primary essential element for being a follower of Christ, for being a true disciple is found in verse 41. When to belong to Christ and follow His example is the standard for knowing Christ and following Him. Belonging to Him. So let me ask you again. Do you know Jesus? Do you belong to Him? Because that is the the question of life. A true disciple learns to let Jesus come into your life And totally control your life. And that affects how you think about other people, how you judge other people, or how you choose not to judge other people, especially those in the faith. A true disciple learns to willingly and faithfully trust Jesus and give all glory to Him. A true disciple of Jesus wants to take our spiritual gifts and use them to glorify Him. The mission of this church is to make disciples who make disciples. And the biggest handicap to fulfilling this mission is sin in the life of the believer. Jesus emphasized the seriousness of sin because sin separates you from God. Most people of all ages, especially, especially children, but all ages, are influenced by what they see other people do more so than what they hear other people say. You may profess to be a Christian, but if your actions do not demonstrate that you're a Christian, what do you think nonbelievers are going to follow? They're going to follow your actions, before they're going to follow your words. And so look at how serious Jesus took this. Look at verse 42. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. It would be better off for a Christian to be dead than to set a poor example before another person who may even not know Christ or even who does know Christ. That's serious business. And whether it's the sin of pride or the sin of unbelief or the sin of infidelity or the sin of following the wrong crowd or the sin of wasting your life, again, sin separates you from God and that's, That's the most important relationship that you could have as a human being, to be vertically related to God and trust God to use you to affect other people horizontally to bring them to the same faith that you know. It's critically serious. Again, look at how serious Jesus says it is in verse 43. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Three times in this paragraph, Jesus talks about how serious sin is because sin separates a person from God and a person separated from God goes to hell. I'm not sure we understand what hell is. Jesus describes hell as an unquenchable fire. He describes hell as a fire that's eternal, non-consuming, painful, not able to be extinguished. No relief for those who go to hell. And Jesus is very clear about this. Who goes to hell? The person who is non-repentant toward putting their life ahead of the life of God. That basically is what it is in a nutshell. The first commandment. To honor the Lord your God with all your heart. Anything less than that separates you from God and dooms you to hell. We don't hear much talk about hell today. And I wonder how many of us really realize how serious it is. I think if if we understood how serious it was, we might be more passionate about trying to lead people to eternal life rather than allowing people to be separated from God eternally in hell. It's real. And Jesus said, Hell is the result of... Of the person whose heart is sinful, separated from God. To follow Jesus is not an easy way of life. To follow Jesus doesn't mean that we're always gonna say things that people wanna hear. To follow Jesus means we follow His example and we live and teach truth. And this is the truth. And he wanted his disciples to know that in the first century, and he wants you and me to know that today. It's not the easy way to follow Jesus, but it's the best way. Eternity in heaven with Jesus is the best way. Verse 49, he takes the example deeper. He says, for everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. So Jesus poured his heart into his disciples. He wanted them to understand that it was important for them to set a good example for other people to follow I wish you could hear my heart to the depth that it is on this. Your life could influence another life and make the difference of their eternity in heaven or hell. Your example is critical. And Jesus describes what that example means here uh, as, as he talks about Pouring salt into the life of an individual. The Levitical law required that sin sacrifices offered to God be seasoned with salt. Also, salt had two other purposes. Number one, it was a preservative. It made food um, last longer. And number two, it was seasoning. It made food taste better. And so Jesus applied this analogy to his disciples Jesus wanted His disciples to give flavor to the lives of people in their generation. Jesus wanted His disciples to stand the test of persecution that was coming their way. And Jesus wanted their lives to be a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. So He gave them these pictures to encourage them to remain faithful After he was gone and left them here on this earth to set the example for other people to follow about what it meant to follow him. And Jesus continues to pour his heart into disciples today. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, Jesus is pouring his life into you. He wants you to add flavor to this generation. He wants you to persevere in the persecution that's coming our way as believers. And by the way, if you're not living under any persecution at all, I wonder how close you really are walking to Jesus, following his example. And thirdly, he wants your life to be a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God today in our generation. There is no greater blessing or privilege in life than to know Jesus and to make all of life about following Him. There's no greater privilege, no greater blessing than that. I want to challenge you as Jesus challenged His disciples to take hell seriously. I want to challenge you as Jesus challenged His disciples to take Following him as the priority of your life. In his preparation prayer time, a dear friend of mine who started a church 30 years ago. Church grew to thousands and thousands of people. It's doing great today. But a couple of weeks ago, in his prayer time, preparation prayer time for his message, he felt God impressing his heart and asking him a question. And here's the question God asked him. God said, your people know you and love you. But how well are you teaching them to know and follow Jesus? I have to ask myself that same question. And I want to challenge you to ask yourself that same question. This pastor friend of mine was a great communicator. And he is a great communicator. Up until a few weeks ago, he salted his his sermons with humor. And with personal life illustrations that would make people want to be drawn to him and like him. But he realized eternity is not about liking a person. Eternity is about knowing Jesus and loving him and making all of life about him. So I encourage you to follow the heart of Jesus toward making disciples. Which is the mission of our church. Secondly, the second arena in following the heart of Jesus is to follow the heart of Jesus toward critics. Toward critics. Chapter 10, verse 1 says, He left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to him again. And again, He, as was his custom, he taught them. And the Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? And they said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house the disciples asked him again about this matter, and he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery." So Jesus answered his critics with a question, didn't he? Just like he had answered his disciples with a question, he answered his critics with a question. But his question led both of them to truth. And here's the truth. This opened the opportunity for Jesus to share the truth of God's design for marriage. Our culture needs to hear this today, just like the disciples needed to hear it in the first century. See, marriage is God's perfect plan for a man and a woman to spend a lifetime together fulfilling the purpose of their creation, to know God and honor God, and in the marriage community. To know and love each other, exclusively of all others. When God is the center of marriage, God is well pleased. God designed marriage to be for one man and one woman to grow together in loving God and loving each other for one lifetime. Jesus said that is God's perfect plan. And breaking the marriage vow has serious consequences it affects relationship with God like any other sin like pride or unbelief or infidelity following the wrong crowd or wasting your life sin separates a person from God it's very serious and divorce is painful it's destructive to the lives of individuals and families and social structures and that's why Jesus warned to avoid it at all possible, with all possibilities. In Malachi, the Bible clearly says God hates divorce. That's strong language. But when a husband and a wife make all of life about Jesus and make Jesus the center of their life, divorce is not even a possibility. When when Jesus is the center of a marriage, the closer a man and a woman are drawn to Jesus, the closer they're drawn to each other. And that's why it's so critical in dating relationships and in marriage relationships to make sure that you put Jesus in the center of your life. It's the best way to live. When Jesus is the center of marriage you have the opportunity to experience life the way God originally designed it. Now, I know that some people are divorced from no fault of their own. In fact, we have people here today, I'm sure, who have been through a divorce and it was no fault of yours. Let me encourage you that if that's you, there is nothing that you need to feel guilty about. There's nothing that you need to be ashamed of. We sang it in a song just a few minutes ago. There is no shame in Jesus. There is no guilt when you confess your sin and confess Jesus as the Lord of your life. Jesus was answering the question that Pharisees asked Him, and He gave them the answer about perfect truth, about God's perfect design. And in the context of this passage, we have to understand that even if it is your fault for a divorce that's happened in the past. Confess that sin and let God forgive you and go on with the rest of your life with a determination that you're going to make Jesus the Lord of your life in this next marriage, this new marriage, this marriage that you're in now. And let Him be exalted, let Him be glorified by forgiving you, applying mercy to your life and forgiveness to your life and giving you a brand new life. Make sure you've repented of your sin no matter what that sin is in life. Make sure that you're living under God's grace and God's forgiveness no matter what you've done in life. And build your new life around making Him the center of your life, your marriage, your job, your family, Your relationship to how you function in community. Make Jesus the center of that life. So the Pharisees had asked him this question to trap him. But Jesus took advantage of this opportunity to go beyond the discussion of divorce and take the issue to the heart. It wasn't a legal question. It was a heart question. Make sure your heart is devoted to knowing Jesus and making all of life about him. And when you choose to know Jesus and follow him, you're going to have critics. You're going to have people at school who are going to make fun of you. You're going to have people at work who are going to say, you've got to be kidding me. Just bend the rules a little bit. You're going to have critics that are going to, they're going to make fun of you. They're going to criticize you. That's what a critic is. But expect it. Expect it. It's a part of following Jesus. And answer critics with questions that open the door to take them to gospel truth. And then be willing to stand up firmly on gospel truth. So follow the heart of Jesus for discipleship. Follow the heart of Jesus toward critics. And finally, the third arena is follow the heart of Jesus toward children. For children. Verse 13. They were bringing children to him. That he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. And when Jesus saw it. He was indignant. And he said to them. Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. For of such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God. Like a child. Shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Children have a very high value in the mind of Jesus, in the life of Jesus. Three times in this passage, Jesus referred to children. What's the point? Well, children have the kind of faith and trust that it takes to enter the kingdom of Of heaven. The kingdom of God. Children are dependent. They need someone to care for them. And for you to come to the point where you are entering the kingdom of God. You need to understand that you can't function on your own. You need Jesus. To take care of you. To guide you. To lead you into all truth. In the eyes of Jesus. Parents of children our highest priority. In verse 13 and 14 Jesus became indignant toward his disciples because they were dishonoring children and they were dishonoring the parents of children. They were sending them away. So here's another big picture issue from conception to the grave. Jesus respects the life of every person. Every person. Here at Palmetto Shores, we have to keep children as our high priority. It's awesome that our church has invested thousands of dollars in building a church that has um, been built around children in Maloney over in Africa. That's an awesome thing. But let's not forget about the investment that we need to make in children and families in our church today. We must continue to invest our time and energy and money to share the gospel with every man, woman, and child on the Grand Strand. You have a part in that. Your example, your witness, your words cannot be replaced by somebody else on the grand strand so where's your heart toward people are you willing to invest prayer and time and your talents and your dollars to disciple children and families you know the front door for many families coming to christ is through their children And we need to be passionate about ministering to children here on the Grand Strand. So let me ask you, is is investing the gospel in people the priority of your life today? Jesus said in verse 15, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. We have a lady in this church, my age, who for the 14 years of the history of this church has missed not more than a dozen Sundays in our nursery, volunteering, serving as a nursery worker every single Sunday. That's the kind of heart Jesus wanted to build into his disciples Not to have a superior, oh, that's somebody else's job. If God has given you a gift and a temperament and a passion to serve God's family in any area and to serve outside in the kingdom in any area, then I challenge you today to take that seriously. Understand what God is saying to us about having a ministry-serving heart. So let's wrap it up. There are five questions that I want you to take very seriously this morning. Maybe even take them home and talk about them over lunch. Or let God roll these questions over in your mind every day this coming week. First of all, do you know Jesus? Most important question of life. Do you know? I'm not saying do you know about him. I'm saying have you... Say, God, I'm a sinner. And I understand that my sin separates me from you. And this morning I've learned that my sin will send me to hell. God, I repent of my sin. And I want to turn away from my sin. I want to know you. I want to walk with you. I want to be a true follower of yours. Have you ever prayed that prayer? Committed your life to him? Secondly, Do you have the trust of a child? Because you can't come to Jesus and you can't be a follower of Jesus unless you trust Him like a child trusts an adult. Thirdly, how are you making all of life about Jesus? In the home? In the school or workplace? In sports and recreation? your leisure time, whatever that might be? Are you making all of life about Jesus and letting Him use you to be an example? Fourthly, how are you making disciples who make disciples? And fifthly, what can you do to bring children and parents to Jesus? You're never too old. To influence the lives of other people, to have a life changing relationship with Jesus. I remember when my parents gave their lives to Jesus. Our little family of seven had very little to offer God's kingdom. Uh, My parents were very simple, they were simply high school graduates. My dad worked a job as a lab technician in a chemical plant in our little town in South Alabama. And someone took the risk of sharing Jesus with him. He and my mom came to know Jesus through the witness of a person whose name I do not even know. But I'll tell you this. I will be eternally grateful to that person. Because that person changed a whole generational cycle that was going nowhere but to hell. And allowed my brothers and me, with the witness of our parents, to come to know Jesus and have a chance to serve Him as well. You never know how your life and your witness is going to be used by God to change a whole generation. Jesus wanted His disciples to follow Him in discipleship he wanted them to follow his heart in answering critics and he wanted them to follow his heart in how they loved and respected children and it all starts with knowing Jesus father thank you today that we have the opportunity to follow your example and not only know and love you which we have that opportunity, and I pray that not one person will leave here today without knowing you and loving you. But we also have an opportunity for our lives to make a huge difference as we open up our hearts and open up our mouths and open up our testimonies to share with other people what you've done for us. God, I know we've hit on some tough issues here today, and that's what truth is all about. Take away any sign of pride or superiority or judgmentalism or anything that would stand between us and you and apply the blood of Jesus to it. Take our lives as we commit our life to you now and continue to worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and continue to worship.